I don't know if you're like me. Maybe you are. But I have a specific place that I put my keys every day when I come home from work, right? I come home from work and I put my keys in that specific place. And they're always there. Well, it was probably a month and a half, two months ago, I went over to grab my keys because I had to run out and go to the store. I think it was on like a Saturday or something. And so I go, and guess what? My keys are missing. I talked last week about my money clip being missing. I really don't have a problem with missing things. I really don't. All right. But they were missing. My keys weren't there. So Jean was downstairs, or she was in the bedroom, and I just kind of yelled, hey, honey, have you seen my keys? She's like, nope, haven't seen them. I was kind of hoping that she would volunteer to come help me look for them, but she didn't. So I'm looking around. So I went to the, my normal places. I checked my coat pockets. I said, well, maybe I left them in my coat and checked the bedroom, and they weren't there. And then I remembered that Jean borrowed my keys the day before. And so now I'm thinking, all right, uh, honey, uh, where did you put my keys after you used them yesterday? And she's like, uh, honey, I put them back where you always put your keys on the bar. And I'm like, I'm getting a little steam now because I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, she's wrong. I know she's wrong because I gave them to her and now they're not there. I didn't move them, so she had to move them, right? So I'm like, honey, I I know that you moved my keys because you you had them yesterday and now they're not there. No, I did not move. I put them right back and I'm like, oh man. So I'm getting a little ticked now, right? And then I'm like, so I'm huffing and puffing and going around the house. And guess what? I went into my office, and they were sitting right next to the papers that I wanted to bring with me when I was going out next time. I wanted her to be wrong so bad. I wanted her to be wrong so bad. I'm like, oh, all right, thanks, hon. I found them. Appreciate it. You were right. But I wanted her to be wrong so bad. I got a question for you. Have you ever thought that Jesus was wrong? Have you ever thought that Jesus was wrong? Maybe you're in a church service, um, and maybe the, the, the pastor is uh, saying something, and maybe you feel Jesus tugging on your heart and calling you to maybe forgive somebody that you just don't want to forgive. Or maybe call somebody that you just don't want to call. Or love somebody that you don't particularly feel like loving right now. Has Jesus ever led you into some sort of suffering? Like maybe you were mocked for your faith. Or maybe you were persecuted in some way because of your belief system. High schoolers, I know we have a couple high schoolers here. I know that happens in high school. You know, you're sitting around the lunch table, you're talking. Oh, what are you going to do on Sunday? Well, I'm going to church, and then I think I'm going to go play ball. Oh, you go to church? Or maybe a college student. Maybe you're in college. I mean, that really ramps it up, right? We see a lot of things in the news about colleges these days. Or maybe even in the workplace for you. You know, I know for me, working out at the base for all these years, uh, you run into all sorts of people with all sorts of different beliefs and temperaments from all over the country. 
And if Jesus is leading you maybe into a season of suffering, how do you handle it? I mean, what do you do? I, I've seen something, something in the news just recently where there was a college student that got kicked out of his class because of standing up for his beliefs. You know, I've read articles in the past of people losing their jobs. Have you ever thought when something like that happens to you that maybe Jesus has made a mistake? I know I have, and I, I, I bet you have too if you really think of it. And, and I think you're going to relate to the story uh, today about Jesus and one of the, his disciples that, that thought that Jesus was wrong. We're going to start off today in Mark chapter 8, 27 through 33. We're going to be reading through. If you have your Bibles, your electronic device, go ahead and fire them up. We're going to be reading out of the NLT. Um, if you don't have notes, we have plenty of notes available in the back. I encourage you guys to take notes. There's also notes online in the app that you can fill out and email to yourself. So uh, if you'd like to, go ahead and grab those notes right now. Okay, so Mark chapter 8, verse 27. We're going to start there. Um, now, Jesus was, was with his disciples, um, and, and what was going on is his disciples, they were in Galilee. And, and we have a couple pictures here real quick. And, and what Jesus was doing is he was taking his disciples north. Galilee is obviously right here in the pink. He was taking his disciples north to Caesarea Philippi. Now, it was pretty far from, from when they were hanging out in Galilee, obviously, but he was taking, on, taking them on some sort of retreat. It was kind of like a little retreat, and they were going up there, but there wasn't very many Jewish people up here. It was a Roman garrison, and uh, so that obviously there was a lot of Roman soldiers and Romans up there, and it was pretty much a pagan society where they were headed to. But Jesus is, is taking his disciples up here on like a little retreat, and, and as they're walking up, to Caesarea Philippi, he kind of starts asking him a question. And he says, you know, who do people say that I am? You know, I think what he was trying to do is just kind of find out if they were getting it, you know. Find out if they were kind of getting what was going on here. They've been walking with him and, and being with him for quite a while now. And then, you know, some of them piped up and said, well, you know, some people say that you're John the Baptist. I've heard that. I think we have a, there, there's John right there. Hi, John. Others say that you're Elijah. And then others still say that you're one of the prophets. And in verse 29 here in Mark, we, we see this. And, and then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Right? They've talked about others, but, but he, he asked them a direct question. Who do you say that I am. And guess what? Peter answered, right? Peter answered. And Peter said this, you are the Christ. Ding, 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 ding. He got the answer right. Oh, angels were hallelujahing, right? <laughs> Peter got the question right. It was an amazing Amazing thing for him to do, right? Come up with the right answer. And if you read the Matthew's account, uh, Jesus told Peter that he was going to build his church on that truth, on that rock of truth, that he's the Messiah. Great. And Peter got it right, man. Peter was all over it. And so we move on to verse 30 here, and Jesus 
strictly charged them to tell no one about him. It was too early for that to be revealed, evidently. And so that's what Jesus said in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and then after three days rise again. And this is a great verse. I never noticed this before until we started studying this out. Verse 32 says this, And he said this plainly. He spoke it plainly. If you know anything about uh, Jesus' teachings, a lot of times he spoke in parables. Uh, the disciples a lot of times would come after and say, well, what did you mean by that? <laughs> I didn't quite get exactly what you were saying there, Jesus. But, but right here, Mark takes the time to tell us that Jesus spoke these things plainly. Suffer, die, rise again in three days. Seems pretty plain to me. And Peter, man, verse, the next verse here, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. You know, I don't know if maybe he was sitting in the back going, X day on the die, on the suffer, on the rise thing. I don't know if he was saying that or not, but he took him aside and began to rebuke him because Peter thought Jesus was wrong. It's in your notes. Peter thought Jesus was wrong. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus's family and, and how his family thought that Jesus was crazy. That was week one. Week two, we talked about the scribes thought that Jesus was evil. Now, Peter, who started out so well, thought that Jesus was wrong. First thing, it was, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Man, that's brilliant. You got it right. Good job. But then the next thing, he says, hey, Jesus, I think you're kind of messed up here. Don't know if you know what you're saying. And in fact, the Bible once again says that Peter rebuked him. He corrected him. Well, actually, it's the same word here that the Bible uses when Jesus is casting out demons. That's a pretty harsh rebuke by Peter, right? I mean, he just didn't like take him aside and say, oh, I think you're kind of wrong. No, he rebuked him. So how do you think Jesus reacted to being rebuked by Peter? Good question. Let's read on. Number 33 here. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. Could you imagine being Peter? Just moments ago, he was the golden child, right? He got it right. And now Jesus is calling him Satan. Man, to be in Peter's shoes at that point in time. Talk about highs and lows, right? Mountaintop valley experience. But why would Jesus say that to Peter? Have you ever wondered that? Why, why would Jesus say that to Peter? Oh, here's what I think. I think that Jesus has an eternal focus. That's what Jesus was talking about, setting his mind on things of God. Jesus has an eternal focus. He sees the forest 30,000 feet. That's where Jesus is seeing. 
But Peter had a here and now focus. You know, Peter really thought that Jesus was going to help overthrow the government. That, that's part of what the Jews believed. And so Peter was like, mm, I don't think you're going to die. He had that here and now focus. But Jesus had that eternal focus. And Peter had that here and now. Jesus knew that his suffering and death would have eternal implications. All Peter could see was his ideas. I'm sure Peter, once he started walking with Jesus and being taught by Jesus, I'm sure his mind just went crazy about how awesome it was going to be when Jesus set up his kingdom here on earth. But those were his ideas. Those weren't Jesus's ideas. Peter must have been thinking about the overthrowing of Rome and the liberation of Israel. And I bet it was exciting for Peter to dream about that. But he was missing the spiritual focus that Jesus came here for. But Peter was in the process of learning this important truth. And this is in your notes too. That Jesus isn't wrong. Jesus isn't isn't wrong. Say that with me, everybody. Jesus isn't wrong. Very good. One more time louder. Jesus isn't wrong. That was really loud. Good job. (laughs) All right. So from the story today, we're going to see two important things. Two important things about this story. The first thing is that Jesus predicted that he would go to the cross and he wasn't wrong. Jesus predicted that he'd go to the cross, and he wasn't wrong. But Peter rebuked him. Peter rebuked him. I don't know if you know who Eugene Peterson is. Uh, He's a Christian writer, and he authored the paraphrase Bible called The Message. Now, I I love reading The Message. I do my studying out of other versions, but I like to read The Message because, uh, I don't know, there's some insight there that's just really fun to read. But recently, he, he wrote, wrote a book, and in his book, he said this. He said that Peter had gotten to know Jesus as a man. He'd gotten to know Jesus as a man, and, and he recognized that Jesus was the anointed one, the Messiah. He was the Christ, but he didn't understand that Jesus was God. He just didn't understand that. You see, if Jesus is just a man, he can make mistakes, He can be a little misguided sometimes, um, and he might need help from his team to be successful. But if Jesus is God, well, that's a game changer, isn't it? It's a game changer. It means that Jesus isn't ever wrong. Jesus isn't wrong. You know, I think most of us can kind of relate to Peter. Um, it's a huge theological idea to wrestle with the fact that Jesus was human, a man, and Jesus is God. That's huge. I mean, think about it. Think about this right now in in, in our lives. Look at the person sitting on the, the right or the left of you. Now, you know that they are charming, right? You know they're intelligent, you know, they're very spiritual and uplifting, aren't they? Look at the left or the right. Look at, look at these people. They're wonderful, aren't they? They're great. 
They are. You know that they're wonderful. But if you're around these people, you know that they have flaws, right? This person might get a little cranky if they miss lunch. Uh, they might pick their nose. That was clearly an itch, right? That's an old reference that you might grab. Talk to me after. I'll tell you what it, what it is. Clearly an itch. Or they might not put the toilet paper back when the roll's gone. Don't you hate that? Oh, man. Can't stand it. Now look at that person with all their flaws and all their charm, and imagine one day they came and told you that they were God. You'd probably think they were nuts, right? Um, no, nah, I don't think so. I think you're wrong. Well, that's what, that's what Peter was going through, right? Now, you might not believe that Jesus is God either. I can't assume that all of us do. But can I tell you why I believe that Jesus is God? Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He died on the cross. And then he rose from the dead three days later. And Mark, the author of the book that we're reading out of, was an eyewitness to all of these things that took place. It's not just a collection of random fairy tales or stories. Mark was there. Mark was a real man. Mark was really there. And Mark was an eyewitness to all of these things that we're reading about. Basically, the book that we're reading is his testimony of the things he saw Jesus do and say. And so I believe him. So let's keep reading in Mark. Mark chapter 8, moving on to 34 and 35. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. This brings us to point number two. Jesus calls me and you to go to the cross, and he isn't wrong. Jesus calls us to go to the cross, and he isn't wrong. Have you ever thought about this? What does it mean to take up my cross and follow Jesus? What does that mean? The cross represents suffering like Jesus, the cross also represents being rejected, like Jesus. And the cross represents dying, like Jesus died. You know, sometimes Jesus calls us to suffer and even die for him. Now, a lot of times here in the Western culture, it's metaphorical, right? But in many parts of the world, Christians are dying for their faith. You know, I just read this past week, there's a, in Turkey, there's a pastor who was jailed on some trumped-up charges. He faces 35 years in a Turkish prison. That's like a death sentence. And we don't like that much. And we choose the path of Peter. So, will I rebuke Jesus? Will I rebuke him? Because we don't like that idea of suffering too much. Will I say, no, Jesus, I, th I think you're wrong. I'm not going to suffer, and I I'm certainly not going to die. How do you, how do I deal with those words? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up the cross. You know, I have a thought. We really don't like the cross much. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful symbol, right? We wear it as jewelry sometimes. I know I have cross jewelry. I don't have one on, but I have it at home. We decorate church buildings with it inside and out. We put it on t-shirts. We wear the cross proudly. We have huge tattoos on our arms of the cross, right? But we don't often think about what it really means to follow after Jesus and take up the cross. It's a great symbol of Christianity, but the reality of the cross can blindside us when we really think about it. You know, this past week I was talking with a woman that was telling me um, about a family member of hers, and um, she was telling me that, you know, this family member is just mean, mean-spirited sometimes, and, and, and she had reached out and, and, you know, always been in his corner and, and stuff like that, but this family member recently said some mean and cutting things to this person I was talking to. And so she just got fed up with it, and she wanted to give this family member a piece of her mind and kind of hurt them the way that she was hurted, hurt. I think we can relate to that a little bit, just to, to lash out and to hurt somebody because we've been hurt, let them feel what they're putting us through. But instead of that, she, she knew that Jesus didn't want her to seek vengeance. What Jesus wanted her to do is be kind and loving, and so she did. She called just to say hi. It took a lot of, of guts, took a lot of strength to do that. She took up her cross that day to make that phone call. There's another story of, of Polly. She's 19th century Christian. We have a, a picture of her here. That, that's Polly right there. She was a Christian. Uh, her husband was not. So she'd go to Christian services throughout the week and, and Sundays and Sunday night Bible study. And when she would come home Sunday night, she'd be locked out of the house. That's not fun. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Being locked out of the house by your mean, awful husband. So what she did is she slept on the porch. And then in the morning... When he came down and opened up the door, do you know what she said and what she did? She said, good morning, dear. Here's your paper. What can I make you for breakfast? Polly took up her cross to follow Jesus. There's another story uh, of a missionary man that was over in India, and, and he had led the, an Indian family, a, a, a husband, a wife, and, and a couple kids to Jesus, but the, the chief of the village was pretty upset with this, that this had occurred. So what he started to do is antagonize the man and his family. It got so bad to where he brought the man's kids out and said, deny Jesus or I'm going to kill your kids. And, and he said something along the lines of this, I have decided to follow Jesus. 
and his kids were killed. The chief was just beside himself, brought the man's wife out, denied Jesus, or I'm going to kill your wife. And the man said something along the lines of, even though none go with me, still I'll follow him. And then his wife was killed. And the last thing the chief said is, you deny Jesus or I'm going to kill you. The cross before me, the world behind, no turning back. And then he was killed. You know, the missionary that witnessed this occurrence eventually wrote the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It's a tragic, tragic story. That's a wonderful worship song. I don't know if you knew the story behind that. That's the story. But it's awful to think that that would happen. But this man took up his cross and died for Jesus. You know, you think about all of these stories and, and some, they're difficult to process. And we find ourselves asking questions like, why would Jesus have me suffer to follow him? Why must I go down this road that I'm going down. I don't like it. Why must this happen? Well, the answer is found in, an, in a verse that we're going to read here out of John. John 12, 24. It says this, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels a plentiful harvest of new lives. That's a powerful truth in the context of what we're discussing. We must invest our lives to do what Jesus is calling us to do, be all in. And, and it's because there's going to be a great harvest that follows. Now, the woman I told you about, well, the man that she was married to was named Smith, last name Wigglesworth. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. He was a famous preacher, evangelist, healing evangelist. And, and do you know what? When, when he came to the Lord, he didn't even know how to read or write. His wife, after all of that abuse, taught him how to read and write. What a great story that is. A great story. Now, I, I don't tell you that story to, to tell you that what the man did was okay, obviously. Uh, if a man locks uh, his wife out of the house, that, that's abuse. But her Christ-like response to him changed the trajectory of his life. And thousands of people came to know Jesus because of Smith Wigglesworth. Now, it doesn't make his behavior okay at all. But I what I want you to see is, is Polly, that she was willing to take up her cross to follow Jesus. And then the Indian man that, that I, I spoke of, eventually, the chief was so moved by his resolute commitment to Jesus that he eventually turned to Christianity himself, and the, the whole village got saved. The whole village converted to Christianity through that one man's sacrifice and his family's sacrifice because he stood up and he, he took his cross for Jesus. 
And what I want us all to see here today is that these people went to the cross with Jesus. The result was that other people came to new life in Christ because of their sacrifice. So, so what Jesus is telling us today is true. There will be a great harvest, just like that kernel that died and produces more kernels. There will be a great harvest. So the question that each one of us needs to answer today is what cross is Jesus calling you to carry today? Will you say the cross before me, the world behind me? Or will you say, no, Jesus, you're wrong? I hope you won't because Jesus is not wrong. Never was, and he never will be. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, I thank you today for the word that has been spoken here today out of Mark and out of John. God, I thank you that as we dig a little deeper into these stories that you had these men write down for us that, man, there's just such great insight. And I know I, I'm many times just like, like Peter. Sometimes I'll get the answer right. And then Jesus, you'll call me to do something and I'll be like, uh-oh. I don't know. I think maybe you're wrong, Jesus. I'm sure many of us have dealt with a similar issue. As we're bowed in his presence, as we're taking this time just to reflect, maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. That's where it starts. That's where this Christian life starts. It starts off with that acknowledgement that I know that I've blown it. I missed the mark. And then the realization that, wow, Jesus came here so that I could be free from my sins. It's a gift that he gives me, and in return, he just asks me to follow him. And so maybe you're ready here this morning to make that commitment. If you are, I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to remember you in prayer. If that's you, just raise your hand. I just want to remember you in prayer as we spend some time thinking about Jesus. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd like to just pray a prayer over each one of us as, as we're just sitting there being thinking about this commitment. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus, and, and Jesus, I know that I've missed the mark. I admit that I've sinned, and, I, and I, I need you to be my Savior. I believe that you came and died on the cross for me, and so now I commit my life to you now. Take my sins away. Change the trajectory of my life. I want to live my life for you and be led by you. So lead me, I pray, 
Thank you so much for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.